You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. Welcome to your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. The only podcast that breaks down every game, news item, rumor, and more. Thank you for subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on Himalaya. My name is David Ramil. A little bit of a different episode today. This is a crossover episode between me and Jackson Gatlin, host of Locked On Rockets. We're going to be previewing the upcoming matchup between Houston and Miami, obviously. That should be a really exciting one. Obviously, Miami really took it to the Rockets the last time they faced each other a couple weeks ago in Miami. The Rockets weren't prepared for Miami's offensive onslaught. They really blew open the doors uh, to the game Early in that first quarter, tried their best to kind of keep pace, but it, by then it was already too late. Miami's uh, incredible lead in that first quarter was an insurmountable one for the Rockets, and they really dominated that game for all 48 minutes. And so here we are a few weeks later. Miami's continued to show some improvement, but the Rockets have also reeled off an eight-game win streak in that in that time span following the Heat loss. And so this should be a really good matchup between two teams that are trying to prove themselves and see what version of them is the most realistic one. It's a good conversation between Jackson and I. He had some questions about the Heat offense and what's made them work so well this season. And I had some questions about the pairing of Russell Westbrook and James Harden and how that's worked for Houston this year. So take a listen. What's up, David? How's it going, man? I'm doing very well, Jackson. How are you? I'm hanging in there. I would uh, I'd be very appreciative if the Rockets could come out tomorrow night and, you know, not get blown out of the water by the heat. That would be, I'd be very grateful if that were the outcome of tomorrow night's game, but I'm sure you feel a little bit differently. I, I don't have any control over the situation, but if I did, I'd probably keep things the way they did when the two teams matched up last time. Sorry to hear it, but uh, that's just a reality on our end. I, I mean, look, I don't think they haven't had a performance like that since then. And so I know a lot of people talked about the alleged South Beach flu going around the Rockets uh, locker room. I'm not sure if you have an opinion on the subject, Um, but, you know, I I know Miami's performance was more atypical than than what we've come to see from them. I mean, they're a good team, fine, but that kind of blowout to that level is not something I was prepared for. And neither, neither were the Rockets, I imagine. Oh yeah, that I mean that first quarter was insane, forty six to fourteen. I it just it looked like you know an NBA team playing against a bunch of G leaguers is what it looked like. And as far as the South Beach flu, the South Beach curse, you know there was that Reddit post that analyzed James Harden and his frequency of or the quality of strip clubs in certain cities. And you know South Beach was right there at the top of that list. So. I think that uh, maybe the South Beach nightlife had something to do with that loss. But then again, the Rockets did go on an eight-game win streak immediately after that loss. So maybe they just needed something to kind of kick themselves into gear and kind of get the ball rolling on this season. Something that, you know, lit a fire underneath them. But a question that I have for you is, you know, the Heater coming into this game 12-4, and you know, one of the top teams in the East. Were you expecting this hot of a start coming into this season? No, not to this point. Um, You know, I I think... I had I had high hopes for this team because one they've been missing what Jimmy Butler obviously provides, which is a clear number one option on offense. Not to mention a very high end defender, but that's what they've been lacking in the past as far as having that clear superstar or that clear star to kind of guide them. Even with Dwayne Wade 
over the last couple of seasons, he wasn't quite the player he was with Josh Richardson. Neither, you know, he didn't fit that role very well either. And so now they have somebody there and, and he kind of establishes a hierarchy as far as that roster is concerned. Everybody understands their role much better as opposed to trying to kind of overlap one another and, and having a, a glut that doesn't necessarily work out as well. But I also saw this roster as it was comprised with the subtraction of Hassan Whiteside and the addition of Bam Adebayo playing a significant amount of minutes. You had more playmaking ability across every position. And so I re- I knew that it was going to be a pretty potent offense, not just because of the shooting of Tyler Hero and because of uh, Jimmy's addition and, and Myers Leonard being a good three-point shooter, etc. But, um, you know, there was this playmaking quality that I really did expect from this team. I just didn't expect it was going to be as potent as quickly. I thought it would take some time for kind of to mature and kind of get to this point. But we're seeing a, it kind of congeal a lot more quickly than I would have thought. Plus, there's the factor of Kendrick Nunn, which nobody saw coming. And that's because he probably wasn't going to get any playing time if not for the situation playing out the way it did with Dion Waiters. Dion was probably going to start the season. He was going to get at least significant playing time. Kendrick Dunn might not have played at all, and here he's become Miami's you know second leading scorer up to this point, and that's that's so uh, uh, that nobody saw that coming. And if anybody says they did, they're lying because he was not supposed to be getting this kind of quality minutes to be the kind of productive scorer that he's become for Miami. So it, it's all worked out very very well, but I don't think anybody saw it quite playing out exactly this well this quickly. Now, you touched base on it there for just a moment about how this team, you know, offensively, things have been gelling a lot quicker than than you would have thought. But, and I kind of had the same conversation with Eric Sparopoulos of Nuggets.com when we did a preview before the Denver Nuggets game was, I think when most people think of the Denver Nuggets or by association, when most people think of the Miami Heat, you don't think of those two organizations as necessarily defensive minded teams or teams that pride themselves on being a great defensive team. But surprisingly both teams are actually better defensively than they are offensively Miami comes into the into this matchup tomorrow night ranked second in defensive rating across the entire league with a net rating that ranks seventh in the league at 6.2 so what dynamic is going on there where you know we're talking about the offense but and I think most fans would associate the Miami Heat being an offensive team but they really you know got the most bang for their buck defensively what's going on on that side of the ball well, that, that's actually pretty surprising to hear because, I mean, I've been following the team for quite some time being a South Florida resident, and uh, that's been their identity for as long as Pat Riley has been part of this organization, since 1995. So to hear that they're not considered that way by some faction of the NBA fandom and media is pretty surprising because, again, the, his first move to, when he took over the, the Miami Heat in 95 was to trade a great all-time scorer in Glenn Rice for Alonzo Mourning, who became obviously a very staunch defender and kind of the cornerstone of the franchise moving forward. And, and even when you had like the big three era or Shaquille O'Neal during the, the aughts, you know, defense was still what kind of defined his team, their ability to defend at a high level. So that's it's kind of interesting that you would say that. But as far as this season's iteration of the Heat and why they're defending at such a high level, I, I think it all starts with their kind of gambling defense. They're, they're very good at closing out at the three-point line. That's been a priority for them. They give up a lot of a high percentage of two-point shots, but at the three-point line, they're tops in the league as far as keeping players or teams to under 30%, or I think it's just at 30% as of this recording. But uh, they've done a really good job. It starts with Jimmy. It starts with incredible perimeter defense all around. Uh, and, and the fact, again, that Adebayo plays as significant a role as he does. With right side there, the defense kind of shifted a little bit where it was, you know, you tried to close out as much as possible on the three-point line, but then you were kind of funneling everybody. Once they drove into the paint, 
because you knew Hassan Whiteside as a, an above-level rim protector was going to be there to swat shots or deter a, a scorer at the rim. But now you don't have that clear rim protector. And so for a guy like Adebayo, who's not as athletic as he is, he's not a, a typical rim protector. What he can do is guard a lot of players along the perimeter. He's got really great feet and instincts, and he's he really understands how to switch on to multiple players, ball handlers, bigs, etc., and, and so uh, he, he kind of facilitates this defense. But then you have guys like Jimmy, of course, and others that are really good at ball hawking. Kendrick Nunn is among one of the top steals getters in the league. And, of course, Jimmy, I think, currently leads the league in steals. So you have this kind of really attacking defense, really anticipating passing lanes and breaking things up and, and making teams uncomfortable. So you, you have, and I'm sure you saw this against the, the first matchup between the two teams, you know, they just take you out of your comfort zone. They really put pressure on you. If, if, if the three-point shot is a bulk of your offense, as it is with Houston and a lot of teams around the league, it's, it, you know, it's, once they limit that shot, you kind of have to shift into a secondary gear there. And you're not quite comfortable with how the offensive output is. And, and, and it makes things really difficult for opponents. And I, I, I mean, we've seen it all season long. So it's it's probably going to be their bread and butter throughout the rest of the season. When, the, when there are going to be games and there will be games when their offense kind of stalls out, their defense is still what's going to be the, the, the defining you know characteristic for this group. Now, you spoke on it there for just a moment about how, you know, the the key component of this team is they make others feel uncomfortable you know they kind of get into your comfort zone they you know force a lot of turnovers they're you know defensive minded team the Rockets have seen now three games in a row starting with the Nuggets and then following up with the Clippers and now against the Mavericks this really aggressive double team against James Harden do you expect the heat coming coming into this matchup having had success in the first outing in South Beach do you expect them to come in and try to replicate the same double team or do you expect them to stick to the same defensive principles that they've shown so far and that they showed in the first matchup unfortunately Eric Spolster tends to be a little um, unyielding when it comes to his his approach to games I mean he can make adjustments over the course of the game and obviously he's as good a, a scout and, and preparer as anybody else around the league but in reality he does kind of tend to stick to what he does well because he thinks that's he, he drives it into these players so often so frequently that he thinks that this is how they just na- naturally react to, to these kind of instances and so I think he'll probably stick to the same game plan as before I know I've had some of my listeners already asked me that same question and I don't have an answer for him because, I, I mean, my, my thought is that Spolster is going to stick with what he does best, uh, what he thinks his team does best. But, I mean, as you pointed out over the last few games, it's worked to kind of challenge James a little bit. And so you, you would think that Spolster would be a little bit more flexible and understand that this might be more of a deterrent for, for Harden's scoring. But I, I'm not so sure that he sees it that way. I think he, he's he's been resistant, Spolster that is. He's been very resistant in the past to have guys switch. He's more about just one-on-one, uh, having you kind of lock in and engage in your opponent and things of that sort. And, uh, you know, it hasn't really worked. And as the league has changed around where there's these incredible motion offenses, he's had to make some adjustments. But I think if it were up to him, he would just have a very old school where guys don't switch and you're just constantly seeing one-on-one defense the whole time. Okay, and David and I will continue breaking down this matchup for you guys at Locked on Heat and Locked on Rockets here in just a moment. So don't go anywhere. And we're back, so we're previewing the upcoming matchup between the Rockets and Heat. 
And obviously, last time the two teams faced each other, it was uh, an incredible offensive output from Miami. But what was it that you think went wrong as far as how the, the Houston Rockets did not anticipate this kind of offensive output from Miami? Because I don't think we any of us really saw that kind of outburst from the Heat coming, but it was still, it, it seemed like Houston had no response for it whatsoever. What was it that really stood out to you about that one particular game? Well, especially there, David, in that first quarter, you know, the Rockets, and this is something that has been kind of a staple of the Mike D'Antoni era, so to speak, is sometimes the Mike D'Antoni teams, they just, they don't necessarily get off to great starts. They kind of come out, you know, that first quarter, first quarter and a half, and they've had an air of, you know, they walk into a game and they kind of more or less expect to win. And that's maybe something you get with more of a veteran core of guys, you know, a team that has made it to the Western Conference Finals against, you know, the defending champion Warriors and, you know, a team that has this playoff resume where they've kind of been there, done that, haven't quite kicked the door in all the way. And so they have these kind of sluggish starts. And I think we saw a lot of that in the first matchup where they came out and, you know, they credit to Miami. Miami had a great first punch, but the Rockets didn't do themselves any favors with, you know, unnecessary turnovers in that first quarter, not getting back on defense. And above all else, the one area that was definitely an issue in that game is the Rockets defensive switching scheme is highly susceptible to backdoor cuts and just off-ball movement in general. We saw a lot of it against the Denver Nuggets, and we saw a lot of it in that first quarter and throughout the rest of that game against the Miami Heat, where just guys like Myers Leonard, who scored over 20, I think he was, 20, what, 21 points that game? He scored so many uh, so many buckets off of just these backdoor cuts where he goes to, you know, fake like he's setting a screen at the top of the key, and then he just slips and goes straight to the bucket and gets a free, easy layup or dunk. And it's those defensive lapses that really kind of dug the Rockets into a hole. And then for the rest of the game, they actually kind of matched, you know, point output, I believe. Uh, It was pretty even across the board. I think it was what? Okay, so Rockets outscored the Heat 32-25 in the second. Then it was 28-25 in favor of the Heat in the third. And then 29-30 in favor of the Heat in the fourth. So more or less, the Rockets kind of matched output the following three quarters. It's just when you dig yourself a hole of... 46 to 14 in the first, it's really hard to come back from that. So have you seen this uh, team capable of making any adjustments or, or what do you anticipate being the difference when the two teams face each other on Wednesday? So a lot of is similar to how you said Eric Spolstra is, you know, somewhat set in his ways. Mike yes. D'Antoni is, is a bit the same. You know, Mike D'Antoni is very set in his ways and he has been very vocal about the defense and how what they need to do is they need to commit more to this scheme. Even just today in the in the Rockets practice at Toyota Center, Mike D'Antoni was saying that all the Rockets need to do to really get their defense, you know, maybe not it's not going to ever be an elite defense. It's not going to be a top five or top three. They just don't have the personnel to do that right now. But to get to be at least a respectable defense somewhere in that 10 to 15 range, they just have to actually buy into the system, communicate more on defense, not let these you know silly lapses happen, things like just not getting back on defense. I think we saw in the Mavericks game this past Sunday, that opening quarter, at one point it was 14 to four or something in that, something along that along those lines where the Rockets were down double digits early again in the first and a lot of those buckets were coming off of just easy transition opportunities for the Mavericks where it's just a live ball turnover and that leads to an easy two on the other end so if they can limit their live ball turnovers offensively and just buy in a little bit more to the defensive scheme 
they should be all right. They're never going to be a top-tier defensive team. That's just not who this group is personnel-wise. And with Mike D'Antoni as your coach, it's just probably not going to happen. But if they buy in a little bit more, they can easily jump up to that 10 to 15 range. So I think a lot of people clearly look at this team and they they view the the pairing of Russell Westbrook and James Harden as the top storyline for for the team. How, how have you seen those two play off of each other? I mean, we saw a very limited sample size as far as what we we you know saw from the Miami Heat ma- matchup, but in general over the course of the season, what have you liked or disliked about Russell Westbrook being on that team? Because you know obviously he was rumored to be on Miami's radar for most of the off season. And I think my former co-host and I were both pretty adamant about not wanting Russ on this team. So we were very grateful for the Rockets for having stepped up and acquiring Westbrook. Um, I wonder how you feel about the acquisition of Westbrook and what you've seen about him pairing alongside James. I think that throughout this, especially throughout this most recent three-game losing streak for the Rockets, a lot of fans, a lot of people want to be able to point fingers and be able to throw blame at somebody, whether it's the coaching or whether it's an individual player or whether it's the defensive scheme, whatever it may be. And so a lot of fans are coming out and they're like, oh, well, Russell Westbrook's the problem. He's he's the issue. You know, his inability to shoot, that's the biggest problem. And while I will admit that his shooting percentages have been rather atrocious from beyond the arc and even from mid-range. He, I think he's shooting about 20 or 22% from beyond the arc and another below 40% from mid-range. But he's actually having a career year shooting the ball right at the rim, which is exactly what the Rockets want him to do. They want him to be the Westbrook that isn't taking three-point shots, that isn't taking the turnaround mid-range jump shots. They want the aggressive driving Westbrook, the one who's going to get to the free throw line you know, about 10 times a game, the one who changes the pace of the game, the one who can push the ball in transition. Because, and I mentioned this briefly on my most recent pod, that Chris Paul essentially played more of like a poor man's James Harden kind of game in that last year. That 17-18 year was different. You had Chris Paul right at the tail end of what would what you could argue was his prime before he had a significant dropping off in the 18-19 season. And basically, Russell Westbrook gives you a new dynamic look for this team because instead of having two guys, James Harden and Chris Paul, who play this slower, methodical style of basketball where you rank, you know, where you're one of the lowest in the league in pace, played, things of that nature. You're you're very comfortable in the half-court set, hunting for switches, things like that. You get Russell Westbrook now, who thrives in transition, who wants to pick up the pace of the, pace of the game, who wants to get out and get easy looks for himself and his teammates in transition, and that's exactly what the Rockets have done. They still rank this year as one of the fastest-paced fastest pace teams in the league, and that's just by having Russell Westbrook on your roster, everybody else wants to play faster, and I think that overall... It hasn't worked to the best of its abilities yet, but it also hasn't been the main reason behind any any number of the six losses so far. Shifting a little bit here, uh, Clint Capella currently listed as questionable for the matchup against the Heat. Do you expect him to be able to play? And if not, how do you see the Rockets responding and who steps up in this place? You know, you actually beat me to it because I was going to bring up the fact that Jimmy Butler is also currently questionable with an illness as well. So maybe the South Beach flu followed those guys over here and, you know, tagged Capella. No, <laughs> um, you know, if if Capella doesn't play, it's going to be a shame because he's been on a monstrous tear lately, basically averaging 20 and 20, which is pretty insane from him when he, he started the season a bit slower. He was kind of rehabbing this you know minor shoulder injury that he had and maybe didn't come into the season in the best of shape so as a rim running big and as a guy who's expected to get up and down the court 
with a lot of speed, it, he wasn't able to play his best version of basketball. But in the last about seven or eight games or so, we've seen a completely different version of Clint Capella. So losing him is going to hurt, especially because you really don't have a guy that can slot in and give you what he does. You've got 37-year-old Tyson Chandler, year 19 in the NBA, who would probably be your starter. But against Bam Adebayo, you know, a young, agile, explosive center, I don't expect Chandler to get a lot of minutes. So they may lean heavily on Isaiah Hartenstein. We would if Clint doesn't play, you probably see a lot of the tuck wagon lineup is what we like to call it, where we run PJ Tucker at the center spot and basically play a five out lineup. So that would probably be the way that they go if Clint doesn't play. Interesting. I, I think Adebayo would probably love that matchup, to be honest with you. But uh, as far as Jimmy Butler's illness is concerned, if he does not play, it also is an interesting wrinkle because Miami has been without Justice Winslow for the past handful of games ever since he suffered a concussion against Paul Millsap and the Denver Nuggets. He hasn't really played alongside Jimmy, and that's been a problem because the last time they did play together, uh, Justice was kind of marginalized. Like They played very similarly as far as wanting the ball in their hands and initiating offense for others, and Justice had done a really good job of doing that in the first three games of the season when Jimmy had been out due to the birth of his daughter, and now that once Jimmy returned, there was a conflict there as to how their styles would mesh, and so we were looking at this Houston Rockets matchup as a potential, you know, viewing room as to how this would work out between the two players and unfortunately it looks like Jimmy might be out and Justice might be returning so the Houston native might make his return to the lineup against the Rockets and that should be interesting either way it should be a really fun matchup and I'm glad we had an opportunity to talk stay tuned for our last segment of the show you're listening to Locked on Rockets and Locked on Heat Use your basketball knowledge to prove you have what it takes and mybookie.ag where they make it easy to play and even easier to get paid Use promo code LOCKEDONNBA and MyBookie will match 50% of your first deposit. If you're listening on the go and you can't visit MyBookie right now, you can find this and all other offers from LOCKEDON sponsors at LOCKEDONPODCAST.COM slash offers. Remember to listen to and subscribe to new and archived episodes of Locked On Heat and Locked On Rockets on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, drop by, leave us a rating and review, especially if it's a good one. So this is obviously being recorded right before the matchup between the Rockets and Heat. It should be an interesting one. We're don't we're as of our recording, we're not sure whether or not Clint Capella or Justice Winslow will be available, or Jimmy Butler rather will be available. Uh, we expect Winslow to finally make the trip and, and appear for the first time in a couple of weeks. But it's a good test for both teams, I think, because obviously the Rockets are coming off a three-game losing streak where they lost to some legitimate title-contending teams in Denver and the Clippers, and of course to the Mavericks, who have started off with a surprisingly hot record and a great offense, even though their defense, I think, makes them not quite the contending team that a lot of Mavericks fans think they are. Either way, um, for Miami, it's a good opportunity to match up against another title-contending team in Houston that they've already faced before, that they've embarrassed. Uh, they've embarrassed at the American Airlines Arena on their own home floor. Now they have to travel to the Toyota Center in Houston and try and duplicate what they did in Miami. And that's going to be a little bit difficult. It's, it's going to be an opportunity for Miami to show whether or not they're capable of making adjustments, whether or not they can uh, replicate what they once did, but also try it in a different way because the Rockets were going to be are going to be a little bit more prepared for what Miami did. There will be no... Uh, potential threat of a nightlife to entertain the Rockets players and keep them unfocused. And, and so uh, I think this was 
This was the win that put Miami on the map in a lot of ways because they blew out the Rockets as much as they did and as intensely. Uh, I think a lot of people started to notice that Miami was a very good and potent team. And it really did show that Miami could bounce back even without Justice Winslow, who we expected to be a, a big component of Miami's offense moving forward. But either way, they're going into Houston and they're going to be tested. And uh, I think the Rockets will remember that beat down and, and want to prove themselves quite, you know, quite a bit. And so it, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not Miami can adjust and handle it. They have recently faced what it's like to go into a tense uh, situation in Philadelphia. Now they go into another one in Houston. They're going to have the Rockets crowd against them. And uh, their work is going to be cut out for them. But it, it should be a fun one. And as always, I'll have a recap for you after that game. So tune in here. That's it for today. You can connect with me on Twitter using the hashtag AskLHeat or email me at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. I'm David Ramil signing off, and thank you, as always, for your support. Yeah! Oh.